Curry in transition. Steph another lob. So there's the big dog. Yeah, defense turns the offense. Yeah. They left Curry in the corner, and that is a problem. As Steph rails the three. It's in the early going with the three-point play. Robinson's had the two buckets. And Mr. Curry likes to hit threes. D'Angelo found him again. A lot of people saying he's going to be all oh, layman back. Oh, no. Curry again. Steph can 37. It's time to talk hoops on the Logan and the Low Post podcast. Here is your host, Logan LaDuke. You just listened to Bob Fitzgerald and Kalina Azabuki on the call for the Golden State Games. A big thank you to NBCS Bay Area for the call. Steph Curry certainly looks much more like an MVP this season. We'll be talking about a few MVP candidates as this podcast goes on, but welcome into Studio 106 in Athens, Ohio. This is Episode 3 of the Logan in the Low Post podcast. My guest today is a student broadcaster much like me here at Ohio University, Brandon Monty. Welcome in. Well, it's good to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course, Monty. You know, I wanted to actually use a different call to open up our game. I wanted to use your Grand Slam call from your oh, summer with the Metsu Miners. Yeah, so Brandon Monty, Brandon Monty was the television play by television. It was a radio. Radio, radio YouTube play. Stream. YouTube stream. It's, the YouTube like play-by-play guy for the Matsu Miners, a summer league baseball team out in Anchorage, Alaska? Palmer, Alaska. Palmer, Alaska. There Palmer, were two Alaska. teams in Anchorage. Okay. Palmer's about 45 minutes away. Palmer, Alaska. Anchorage. Not too much uh, big city life. And Monty got to call a walk-off Grand Slam. And occasionally, our voices crack in excited moments. It was a heck of a call, though. I, mean, I, know, you, I know you hate it, but it was a heck of a call. Didn't STAA talk about it a little bit? Didn't you guys put like the in-the-booth thing on your tweet at all? That was actually uh, Connor, Connor Mills, Mills and Joey, Joey Medor doing their, their clapping routine oh, and the, uh, broadcasting their celebration. Game. Absolutely. Broadcasting is just a fun life to live. And you know, We're here to talk NBA. We're here to talk NBA, not, not Summer League Baseball in Alaska. So let's get talking NBA. We talked about 10 teams last week and their over-under win projections. So we got 10 more this week, 10 more next week. And I won't lie... I didn't leave many good teams for next week's podcast, but we'll start in Philadelphia. The Philadelphia 76ers, 54 and a half wins. Brandon Monty, do you like over or under on that projection? I'm going to have to go over with this team. Okay. And I know there are a lot of concerns with this squad, the biggest being how Al Horford and Joel Embiid are going to blend together. That was a very interesting signing for the Sixers, bringing yep. in Al Horford, pretty much going against what the NBA is today, <laughs> the spacing, having two big men right. on the floor. You don't really see that that often but talent wise you just have to take the over with this team I know they could struggle to mesh and hey Ben Simmons is looking like he actually has a jumper now so who knows but from a talent standpoint this may be the best starting five in the NBA Uh, that's one of the scariest things ever Ben Simmons with a jump shot a reliable jump shot I mean obviously we've seen him make one in the preseason I can't believe how much a three-pointer blew up over Twitter how viral it went for one guy hitting one three-pointers, first career three-pointer. Well, he is a meme, so uh, he, this, shot he, was a meme. He really me. is. Yeah, the Sixers, I like what you're saying. I'm going over as well. I've mentioned on the first two podcasts that I think the Sixers are the best team in the Eastern Conference. I think they're the team to beat. You said that they have the best starting five. Now, Horford and Embiid, is there a lot of cloggage there in that lane? Does that take away Simmons' you know room to operate? Obviously, you mentioned that they're going away from the idea that the pace and space kind of action – Horford can shoot the three, and Bede can shoot the three, um, but it's a matter of how do they move around in a half-court setting, and you know more than that, how are they running the floor? But Philly, I like them about 57, 58 wins, I think, on their season. I think 
Josh Richardson is a really nice pickup, can really shoot the ball. I think they did lose a lot of shooting, though, with J.J. Redick. I thought that was a really underrated loss for a team that we saw this offseason. Yeah, I'm very surprised that they just kind of let Redick walk a little bit there. But Josh Richardson, I think one of the more unheralded players in the entire NBA, I think people really underestimated his impact with Miami on both ends of the floor. Defensively, this team is going to be very stout. I mean, there's no question. They should be locking down opponents every night. Ben Simmons is an all-NBA-level defender. Embiid and Horford, two of the best post defenders in the entire NBA. Richardson, yep. add to the picture. And then Tobias Harris, who I think struggled at times last year in Philadelphia, but still a very serviceable offensive player. And they're going to rely on him a lot to shoot as well. The bench is kind of a concern for me with this team. Yeah, I think okay. that was a major problem with them last year, especially against Toronto. I think they're very thin. Matisse Thibel is another guy to look out for, too, the rookie that they selected this past year in the NBA draft. A fantastic defensive wing. If he can develop more of a jumper, which is something he lacked consistency with at Washington, I think he'll be one of the better 3 and D players in the NBA. Yeah, you mentioned they lost some guys. I mean, TJ McConnell went to Indiana this offseason as well, who was a very serviceable, is the best word to use, uh, backup point guard for the Sixers. I'd still like him at 57-58, mainly because the East has become weaker. Kawhi Leonard left the Eastern Conference. Uh, I think the two teams at the top are the Bucks and 76ers, and I can't really make a case... For any other team, maybe Indiana sneaks in there when Oladipo gets healthy. But I think the Sixers at 57 and an over on the 54.5 projection is a safe bet. We'll go to the Houston Rockets. 53.5 wins for Houston. They uh, excuse me, they flipped Chris Paul for Russell Westbrook. That new backcourt is certainly star-studded, but it also has a lot of question marks. What are your thoughts? I think this is a fantastic move. I think mm-hmm. Russell Westbrook will be an upgrade over Chris Paul. I think what a lot of people overlook about Russell Westbrook's time in Oklahoma City was that they never really surrounded him with that many shooters. They couldn't space the floor that well. And I think a lot of times when Westbrook was driving to the basket, the lanes were clogged because, like I said, they didn't have enough three-point shooting. Now you go to the Houston Rockets where that's their emphasis. <laughs> You're expected to shoot shooting. There's one guy in the paint, maybe, in Clint Capella, if he's not setting screens at the top of the key, which he's... Very good at doing. Open lanes now for Russell Westbrook. Obviously, the three-point shooting is a major question mark. It's never been his strength. And given that he's going to a team that prides itself on three-point shooting, that is a major concern. But I think the Houston Rockets' offensive scheme fits Russell Westbrook a lot better than the sort of athletic and defense-first molds that Sam Presti put together in Oklahoma City. Who gets more triple doubles this season, Russell Westbrook or James Harden? I don't really care about triple-doubles. Triple-doubles are just so unheralded. These guys do. uh, I'm going to go with Harden. I still think that's another concern, too, is James Harden and Russell Westbrook are the two all-time leaders for an individual season in usage. Yeah. So they'll have to sort of find a happy medium, if you will. They'll they'll each have to take kind of a step back, which I think they'll do. The one thing that both these guys lack at this point is team success. Well, their teams have been successful, but neither of them have a championship. Yeah. So you think it's now or never for this team. And what's their total? Is 53? 53 and a half is the projection. I'm going to take the over, and I believe that they'll be the number one seed in the Western Conference. Number at the end one of the regular seed. Season. I really do. I think from Russell Westbrook, James Harden, most talented backcourt in the NBA. I know it could take some time for them to mesh together. They still have a lot of good role players as well, too. Guys like Eric Gordon, P.J. Tucker, who I think is severely underrated in terms of his impact, especially on defense. Mm-hmm. And then Clint Capella, great rim roller, fits the system in Houston perfectly. Good rebounder. Could improve his post-defense a little bit, but still a very good center. So we're definitely on a little bit different sides of the spectrum here. I actually am taking the under by a game. I, mean, I say Houston win, goes 52-30 and 30 this season. For the reasons you mentioned at the end, I think it's going to take some time to see what's this offense running through. Westbrook or Harden, um, who's dominating the basketball. 
which I mean, it's probably not going to matter. You ha- if you have the all stars out there, expected to win ball games, plain and simple. And I think that's what Houston did. They certainly made the move to get themselves more competing. I just think similar to what I said to the Utah Jazz on last week's podcast. I think this Rockets team struggles out of the gate. I think they start maybe 15 and 11, something like that. And then you kind of just run out of enough games to get enough wins to get over that 53 and a half mark. So I see them more as a third seed in the Western Conference. I think 52 and 30 is fair. But if everything does come together, this is a team that can certainly win the NBA championship and no one is really talking about it at all. And this is another thing that I'm really going to look out for for this Houston Rockets team is how much Russell Westbrook and James Harden are involved off the ball. Because they've had the tendency over the past couple of years when the offense isn't running through them and when they don't have possession, they kind of just stand around and they watch, and watch the play develop. Yeah. Exactly. They need to be more involved off the ball. I think if they get more off-ball movement, more maybe back cuts, screens, I think the offense will flow much better and will be less predictable because obviously Houston, a very isolation-heavy team over the last few years, and you'll get that with a guy like James Harden who's pretty much an unstoppable force on offense. And overall, I think it's an upgrade, especially in the sense that you get rid of one bad contract with Chris Paul, who, while he's still good, yeah. is very aging. But I think Russell Westbrook still has a lot more left in him than Chris Paul does. He certainly does. Now, the defense could be a concern. They might have to win a lot of shootouts this season. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I mean, obviously, you mentioned P.J. Tucker, and we know Clint Capella can block shots, not exactly you know play that post-defense, but they can certainly disrupt and affect uh, the offense of the other team. But what are your thoughts on the possibility that their defense could give 120 points a night at any time? I mean, really. Well, looking at the defense, we see Russell Westbrook and James Harden. They've had a tendency to kind of take some plays off. You know, they use up a lot of their energy on the offensive end. So if they improve really their overall intensity on defense, because they're both more than capable of being great defenders, obviously both physically built great Especially athletes. Westbrook. They have yeah. the potential to be great defenders. It really just comes down to, I think, kind of the mindset and effort with this team. Maybe having a superstar next to one another for both Harden and Westbrook takes some pressure off of them on offense as we've seen Harden over the past couple of years when Chris Paul is out he's really had to carry the load for this Houston team on offense very isolation heavy and he's more than capable of doing so I mean James Harden may be the most dominant score the cre- most creative score <laughs> in the history of the NBA yeah it'll be interesting I think Clint Capella a very switchable big he's very athletic I think doesn't get enough credit for how good of a defender he is on the pick and roll mm-hmm. again Gets bullied around a little bit in the post sometimes. I don't think people realize that. Has given up some pretty big games against opposing centers in the paint over the past year. But he was also dealing with injuries last year as well. So mm-hmm. I think this Houston team will get a little bit better on defense. Obviously their strength will be their offense. And I think they go over the win total. If there's anyone that appreciates the move to get Russell Westbrook, it's certainly James Harden. To take off that load and him not having to pull out some of these moves. I mean, you've seen some of the moves he's made this offseason season. Some people think that their travels and just uh, they're not <laughs> the moves here he's using are not going to be allowed on NBA floor. We'll you see. A, that's, that's you a fan of the one-legged three-pointer? I'm not. I'm, <laughs> I'm not really either. Not. I mean, it's James Harden, so he you're pulls, not going to tell him no. But I'm pretty sure he pulled it out in one of the preseason games at the side of the backboard, and if that means anything to you. Yeah. But I, I want him to stray away from that a little bit. But I think he's just getting bored with scoring so much. <laughs> I think he's just trying new things. I yeah, think that's absolutely. what's coming down to. I, I mean, shoot, I would too. <laughs> Boston Celtics at 48 and a half wins. They replace Kyrie Irving with Kemba Walker. And Al Horford leaves for Philly. They bring in Ennis Cantor. Many think, though, that this team structurally actually fits together better. You're taking over or under on 48 and a half wins with Boston. I'm going to go over with Boston. Okay. I was high on Boston last year. Obviously, Boston, arguably the most disappointing team in the NBA last year. Many Ugh. people believe they were a shoe in for the Eastern Conference just because they had so much talent, but they were never really able 
to fuse together. There were just too many mouths to feed, and Brad Stevens was unable to keep everyone satisfied. Obviously, Kyrie Irving is gone, but I think they get an upgrade in Kemba Walker. Kyrie is an a better upgrade. Pl- Kyrie is a better player, but I believe that Kemba Walker will fit Brad's system. He's a better Brad leader. Stevens' system. Exactly. He's a better leader. I think there were some locker room issues last year, too. Kyrie was uh, very frustrated with his situation. Mm-hmm. But the Al Horford to Ennis Cantor drop-off is very significant. I think Al Horford is another underappreciated player. We've already talked about him with the Sixers. Just a fantastic offensive player, or defensive player for that matter. And then on offense, not elite by any means, but... Just sort of that dirty work guy, really a professional, does everything you ask him to do. And obviously Ennis Cantor, one of the worst defensive centers in the NBA. Yeah, Horford can create a shot a little bit more, can be more reliable, obviously, from the three-point line than Cantor. Not even more reliable, just reliable in general because Cantor is not reliable from that range. But you mentioned the defensive side. We're talking about Ennis Cantor, who has been known as one of the statistically one of the worst defensive centers in the NBA. It was, it's been his mantra since his days even in Utah way back when when he was a rookie, you know, he's just never been known for his defense. So that's going to be a significant drop off. We also have to see where Gordon Hayward gets back to. We've been waiting for him to get back to his stage. He's not I don't think he'll ever get back to his days in Utah. Uh, people are mad about his NBA 2K rating being 80. Many thought it should be like a 75, 76. I don't know if that's a little <laughs> that's anything to think about, but um, I think that's going to be a big thing to look at is, is Gordon Hayward going to get back to that level, especially now that he's going to probably have the ball a little bit more with Kemba being one that likes to get his teammates involved a little more than Kyrie Irving may may do. Um, but I guess the other question marks is they've been rumoring the moving of Jalen Brown also for the last season and a half. Um, a big reason is because he thinks he deserves max money this offseason on his extension, and right now they're kind of at a holdout. What are your thoughts on Jalen Brown and a max deal? And I think Boston will continue to entertain the idea of trading Brown. Before the the rumor actually came out, I was telling a couple people that I think this team will try to move him at some point this year and get a lot of young assets back. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, and Gordon Hayward as a 2-3-4 and four is that great of an idea because last year was a lot of isolation, heavy basketball, a lot of shot, shot hunting from all three of those guys. Jason Tatum, another one who took another kind of a step back last year, kind of didn't really get to the line or the rim as much, kind of settled for contested mid-range shots, isolation. The offense never really got into that much of a rhythm, and I think it's because, like we talked about earlier, there were a lot of mouths to feed, there was a lot of talent, and a lot of guys, you know, kind of wanting to get theirs, if you will. Yeah, you you basically have Jason Tatum, Gordon Hayward, and Jalen Brown playing three different positions, but they're all really small forwards, and you look at it. So I think Boston needs to structure their starting lineup a little bit better. They need to have one true starting small forward that they're going to go to every single time. And you mentioned trading Jalen Brown. Maybe you get a young guard you like to throw on the wing or something and play a little defense, score a little bit for you. Um, I like the idea of trading Jalen Brown. I like the idea of moving on, especially if he thinks he's worth $37 million a season for Jalen Brown. I just can't fathom paying that kind of money to Jalen Brown. Yeah, I can't see him getting max money at all. I mean, you're looking at Jalen Brown. He's a good defender was viewed as a raw prospect coming out of California, out of the lottery. Still has a lot of potential. The problem is you know, he's not very good dribbling with his offhand. So you're paying a guy max money, but what are you paying him to be? Like a role player? Because he's not really that great of a go-to scorer. Can't really get to the basket that well. He's very predictable because he can't really dribble that much right. with his offhand. He's a decent jump shooter. He's gotten better as his career has progressed, but it's still not to the point where it's elite or worth max money. By any means. So at this point, I think Jalen Brown, a quality role player that any team would love to have, but definitely not worth max money. So I'm going to go over for Boston. I'm going to go 49 wins on their season, just over that mark. I don't think they quite hit 50, 
Um, we'll see though. You know, I think Boston is going to turn a lot of eyes, a lot of heads this season. I think a lot of people are going to underestimate this team. The Raptors at 46 and a half wins, the defending NBA champions. Obviously, when we lose Kawhi Leonard, that 46 and a half number seems to make sense. I think before they lost Kawhi, we could have been looking at a 56 to 60 win team, especially just riding the wave of winning an NBA championship. I tell you, Ring Night's going to be a little bit sad. <laughs> Not sad. Obviously, this is the franchise's first NBA championship. The city of Toronto is a fantastic fan base. Just the fact that Kawhi can't be there to share that moment is a little disappointing, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, 46 and a half. You still have Kyle Lowry. They want to focus more on Pascal Siakam this year. I think they actually want to make that transition to him being the star, I guess, of this team. Serge Ibaka, Marcus Saul, OG Ananobi should be healthy next season. What are your thoughts on 46 and a half wins for the defending NBA champions? This is a bet or a total that I would stay away from personally for the time being because I'm not sure what direction the Raptors are going to go this season because right now they are not a championship team, Mm-mm. but they're also more than capable or more than good enough to make the postseason. They just inked Kyle Lowry to a one-year $31 million extension, mm-hmm. which doesn't surprise me. Kyle Lowry obviously helped this franchise win a championship. I wasn't expecting the Raptors to trade him, but two guys I think they will entertain for is Marc Gasol and Serge Ibaka, just two veterans, maybe try to get some younger pieces back. Uh, I would stay away from this total right now. If I had to choose, if this current roster stays intact, I would go over because I think this Toronto Raptor team is just too talented, and they're in the Eastern Conference, and they're better than a lot of teams in this Eastern Conference because, again, a very weak conference. Yeah. But... If they decide to trade away guys like Marcus Saul or Sergi Baca, I think that total could dip below 46. Very yeah, easily. I think Toronto is a top five seed in the Eastern Conference. I don't think many people argue that. I mean, I think people also people are also because they lost Kawhi are just writing off Toronto completely. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm looking at it, it's like, look at that NBA Finals. Who was the guy that actually won them Game Six? Fred Van Fleet. That right. dude in in the fourth quarter closed out Golden State with what four triples or three triples and a three point play. I don't care. They have still a fairly deep team. They have a couple of young pieces, like I mentioned, OG Ananobi. I like the leader in Kyle Lowry, but I do know what you're saying. It's kind of like, yeah, they could be over if they keep this roster intact. They drop two guys, and because they're struggling midway through the season, they might just say, screw it. I mean, let's move on. Then I could see more like a 42-44 to 44 win kind of season for Toronto. And I'll take the over for this team, honestly. I think Kyle Lowry has been one of the more disrespected point guards in the NBA (laughs) over the last couple of years. Because I think when he does good, you know, it's not that fun to watch. Just kind of does the little things. He's a great leader. Obviously, he's not going to put up 30 points a game and 10 assists Mm -hmm. like a Steph Curry or a Kyrie Irving. But just a great two-way player, fantastic defender, good facilitator, can score, shoot, just do a little bit of everything. I think his value has been very underappreciated. Uh, Pascal Siakam emerging as one of the best two-way players in the league as well. And then mm-hmm. more veteran contributions from guys like Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, who both turned in phenomenal seasons last year. And then a couple new additions. You have Rondé Hollis-Jefferson, another yeah, defensive-minded okay, wing. Good point. And then Stanley Johnson, who's been a major disappointment to this <sighs> point. Man. One of the worst offensive players in the NBA has yeah. just not really developed at all since coming in out of Arizona. You mentioned Kyle Lowry being an underappreciated talent, a talent that's not talked about. Well, the Spurs are the Kyle Lowry of the NBA then. This is one of the most consistent teams in the NBA for years. I mean, if you want to talk about, you know, if you look over the four major sports, football, baseball, basketball, and uh, soccer? Soccer, I guess. Yeah. I can do that. I, <laughs> I, I, I consider it. Yeah. Golf's up there. But, uh, <laughs> no, okay, if you go over the four major sports, I think the best run franchises are the New England Patriots and the San Antonio Spurs. No so we want to talk about a model of consistency for years to come. 
They've done that. They are currently tallied at 46.5 projected wins for a team that has DeMar DeRozan, LaMarcus Aldridge, Derek White is evolving into a really nice player in the NBA. Uh, you have Patty Mills, who's certainly good at point guard, and he'll actually be backing up DeJounte Murray, who'll be making his return this season. 46.5, too high, too low? What are you thinking? See, last year, going into the year, I was so tempted to believe, and I was telling everybody, this is the year where the San Antonio Spurs miss the playoffs. And yep. sure enough, Greg Popovich once again proved me wrong, and the Spurs made it, and they bring back pretty much the same roster from last year. I'd like to call them the all-NBA mid-range team, because that's exactly what they are. You've got Rudy Gay, LaMarcus Aldridge, uh, DeMar DeRozan, to just all models of consistency at this point. I don't think there are really any superstars on this team but they all just do enough. And then Derek White, like you said, really stepped up last year because one reason why I thought this team was not going to make the playoffs was because of DeJounte Murray's injury yeah. in the preseason that left him out for, was it the entire year? I believe he was out the entire season. I believe season. it was the entire it. year. But, yeah, he, great defensive-minded guard that returns this year. Personally, I think Derek White should still be the starting point guard for this squad. He had a phenomenal season last year really on both sides of the ball and stepped up in a major way to help this team get back to the postseason where they almost knocked out the Denver Nuggets as well. Yeah, they really did it. Game one in Denver, they forced them to seven. Uh, you mentioned the all-mid-range team. DeMar DeRozan and LaMarcus Aldridge, those guys are about as consistent as it gets from 15 to 18 feet away from the basket. How are they going to shoot from beyond the long line? We don't know. DeJounte Murray, he's actually shown flashes of being a decent three-point shooter. I mean, 31% obviously isn't a good number for his career. But the year before that, he started getting that number more towards that 40 mark, which is what you want to see. And to answer your question, he did, in fact, not play all season for San Antonio. And his numbers, if you look at them, they're nothing eye-popping. I mean, we're talking 6.6 points. We're talking four rebounds and two assists. But this is one of those guys that everyone knows he has the utmost talent. He's even really touted by LeBron James as being a fantastic player and He's just going to wait for his moment. And we really know his value is on the defensive end, certainly, with as lengthy as he is. But I think he makes that difference in getting the Spurs to maybe 47, 48 wins on the year. I'm going to take the over on San Antonio until they prove me otherwise. Right. I mean, they're like you said, they're the model of consistency. They bring back essentially the same core from last year. If this team was not named the San Antonio Spurs, I would look at them and probably be like, ah, 38, yeah. 37 wins. But because it's San Antonio... Greg Popovich, obviously a great system there. Spurs, one of the best-run organizations maybe in history. Mm -hmm. And because I was wrong about him last year, I slept on him. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt this time around. Again, a very aging core. So it'll be interesting to see if this team explores the idea of trading some of their veterans, guys like DeRozan and Aldridge, maybe to get value back, considering they're not a title contender. No. They're still definitely they capable of getting back to the play. Yeah. They are stuck in mediocrity. Exactly. Um, you know, it's interesting you mentioned Greg Popovich. Last season, I was watching a Spurs game early in the year, and the broadcasters were talking about uh, where's the depth in this team. And naturally, the camera cuts to the bench, and it's just kind of panning across. I'm like, geez, they're in trouble. And then I it pans over Greg Hovich. I was like, never mind. Never mind. Yeah, well, <laughs> all right. They'll find a way. They'll, <laughs> they'll, they'll, they'll find right. somebody, or they'll make make somebody better. Right. I mean, if you want to talk about who's the best coach in the NBA. You can, yeah, every single year there's a different best coach in the NBA. You can talk about Steve Kerr and the Brad Stevens of this world, or even Quinn Snyder over in Utah. But Greg Popovich, that man, model of consistency, there it is right there. I mean, he, he's the big reason San Antonio has been as good as they have for, jeez, oh, since 1996, 19, you know, that general area. They've just been fantastic every single season. Now we move to a team that also wears black and white. The Brooklyn Nets will not have Kevin Durant this season. Did make a lot of good additions. They'll also be getting some players back 
from injury or at least get them back to full health like Karis LeVert. You know, I'm talking about the Brooklyn Nets. Currently projected to have 43.5 wins. They add DeAndre Jordan. Not sure how that works with Jared Allen. I think he really just had to come over so that way Durant and Kyrie both decided to commit to the Nets. Um, I don't know. This team is a little bit tough to predict because there is so many new pieces. They look a little bit different. Their court looks very different. In fact, their court looks beautiful. I don't know if you've had a chance to look at it. I like what they've done over there in Brooklyn. It's a new era. Absolutely. Certainly, and that's got to look the part. That's the way they're treating it, exactly. But no Kevin Durant. Do you think 43.5 wins is realistic for this Nets team without a true superstar wing? I think it is more than realistic for this team. I think they are essentially the same squad from last year, maybe not personnel-wise, but in the sense that they have one guy who's going to go to and then a lot of role players surrounding him. And Kyrie Irving is certainly an upgrade over D'Angelo Russell. If this team can stay healthy, I think 43.5 wins is a safe bet for the over. I think Karis LeVert will be the X factor for this team mm-hmm. this year. Kyrie Irving is going to need kind of that second guy to throw the ball to and go get him a basket. And the biggest, uh, the Achilles heel for Karis LeVert at this point has been his health. Yeah. You know, last year, you could very easily make the argument that he was the best player on Brooklyn before he went down with an injury, was averaging, I believe, a little under 20 points yep. a game before he missed the remainder of the season or most a very good chunk of the season. And then the DeAndre Jordan signing doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I think, like you said, it was just kind of to appease Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant because they're mm-hmm. good friends with DeAndre Jordan. But I think that hampers Jared Allen's development a little bit, Yeah, but not significantly because I think Allen and Jordan – will still get about an equal amount of playing time. And as the season goes on, I think head coach Kenny Atkinson is going to favor Jared Allen a lot more because, again, he's the younger option, and he's developed very nicely over the past couple of years. He's met plenty of uh, NBA superstars at the rim, too, already. An athletic specimen, good defender, still developing an offensive game and a jump shot. But I think that will just come with time. Still a double-double threat every night and a very good developing center for the Brooklyn Nets. I think Kenny Atkinson is a great basketball mind, too. He's really good at getting his guys to buy into what he's selling. Mm-hmm. And I think he's really done that since they've brought him in. And, you know, I want you to tough, grind it out games. Nobody's going to get theirs. You're going to share the basketball. I think Brooklyn has really taken on that identity. And we mentioned their depth. And there's up for the Nets. Torian Prince was fantastic with Atlanta. Joe Harris had a great campaign with USA. The way to have the ball more than... D'Angelo Russell, I mean, that's certainly saying something. I mean, they have guys up and down this roster. You could even look at Kuruks. They brought in a veteran scorer in Wilson Chandler. Garrett Temple can shoot a little bit. David Awaba. Uh, Wilson Chandler uh, suspended 25 games. Kuruks is actually getting himself into some trouble, too. I don't know if you saw. Really? He uh, assaulted his now ex-girlfriend, so I think he's dealing with that. Come I don't on, know if man. he'll be punished for that. They were talking about signing Carmelo Anthony, which I think would not be a smart move. at some of the rest of the depth that they do have on the roster, it seems like this team is the king of... Uh, taking players who have been slept on and kind of thrown to the wolves at previous teams. Helping them. You look at Joe Harris, was kind of a bench warmer with the Cavs, really didn't play a lot, comes over to Brooklyn and kind of a journeyman he was to start his career. Yeah, was bouncing around, third or fourth string point guard, facilitators in the NBA, and definitely a candidate for sixth man of the year. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Brooklyn at 43.5, I do like the over as well. I'm going to go about 44, 45 wins for this team. How good of a leader he is without Kevin Durant. How does he bring together this team? Because... He mentioned in Boston, he struggled with the young guys because they wouldn't, you know, they, not, they haven't really learned to win yet. And he got frustrated with them because they didn't seem like they wanted to win. They'd come to practice unprepared and things like that. Brooklyn's got a lot of young guys too. And how does Kyrie combat that and figure it out and how to be a leader? Well, I think a lot of Boston players were sort of frustrated when Kyrie Irving came back and wanted to take that leadership role because after the 
the postseason where Kyrie and Gordon Hayward were out for Boston. The younger guys were winning. It's like, all right, we got this. You yeah. know, we can step up. And then Kyrie comes back into the fold as the top dog, and the right. younger guys are like, all right, well, we got to take a back seat now. I think that's one Terry big reason year. why. Terry I mean, we saw why yeah, he's a Hornet That's now. one big reason why Boston took a major step back. But I think Kyrie Irving will thrive much more in Kenny Atkinson's sort of run-and-gun offense. I mean, he's the definitely the top dog this year and once again has a chance to redeem himself as a leader you know he wants to be in Brooklyn and then a great uh, cast surrounding him but Kyrie definitely is that alpha and I think the other players on the team will take a back seat to him a lot more willingly and I think that's one reason why this team will go over the 43 and a half total so you got over for the Nets now we take a pretty big dip here Minnesota Timberwolves at 35 and a half wins for their season Minnesota is kind of one of those teams that just nobody talks about I mean uh, they don't really do anything overwhelming in the offseason. They don't really bring any big stars. They've been trying to rely on this Wiggins and Towns duo for the longest time. Obviously, we know Wiggins has never reached his full potential. They lose Derrick Rose, who you can say was the best part of their season last year. You know, that was the main story. But Towns is still an elite big man, one of the best in the league. I don't think they're getting to that 35.5 mark, though. I don't know what you think. I think they're going over. You think they're going over? I think over? there's a lot more talent than... In Minnesota, then people give them credit for. Like you said, they're they're very underappreciated, if you will. They're not talked about a lot. It's Minnesota. But there is a lot of talent there. I think you start with Carl Anthony Towns, who I know the Timberwolves haven't been winning a lot. But he's still one of the more dominant big men in the NBA, and he thrived last year as soon as the uh, Jimmy Butler fiasco concluded. They finally got rid of him. And another player I think is kind of the X factor for this team is Robert Covington. I think he's the best 3 and D wing in the entire NBA. And it was a great haul for the Timberwolves to acquire him from Philadelphia in the Butler deal. I think Covington mm-hmm. is one of those guys. You know, he's a consistent 40% shooter from the outside, can knock down threes, and I think his defense is really what sets him apart. I think he's a top 10 perimeter defender in the entire NBA and is a fantastic addition for Minnesota. I don't even say top 10. I don't even push top 5. I mean, Roko is really underappreciated in the NBA. Pick up for them. Great pick. But at the same time, where do you really place them right now in this lineup? I guess you have. Well, at the shooting guard position, you really have two of the same player for this team. He'll be taking yeah. up the 48 minutes, and Josh Okogie. Jumpers to be more consistent, especially Okogie. Didn't have a good year offensively last year, but defensively, locked down a lot of premier offensive threats last year for Minnesota. And I think Culver and Okogie will kind of even that out. You've got Covington at the three. And then another interesting piece for. Er, Another question, I think, for this team is the point guard spot. You have Jeff Teague, who player actually set a career high in assists per game last year. Defense, never really been his strong suit, and I think versatile veteran point guard. They have Shabazz Napier backing up right now, which I think is a significant drop-off from Derrick Rose, you could say. Gorgie Zhang has also been a consistent big they've had for them for years. But I think the big key and really where they're going to make headlines, they got to trade Andrew Wiggins. I think it's just time to move on. 100%. Andrew Wiggins has probably been one of the most disappointing number one picks of all time. On the surface, obviously looks like a good scorer, but it's very inefficient. Really all he does is shoot the ball. His defense is near the bottom of the league. He doesn't really pass. And the biggest concern at this point is that people are saying he doesn't really even care about the game of basketball. We saw it on the whole Jimmy Butler a drama yeah, appeal. Yeah. You know, he's accusing Carl Anthony Towns and Andrew Wiggins of not caring about the game enough and not wanting to win to the point where he forced himself out. And while Carl Anthony Towns is a superstar center, there's really no denying that. Obviously, still needs to work on his defense, but offensively, just a bona fide superstar. The same cannot be said for Andrew Wiggins, who I think 
just kind of a stopgap at this mm-hmm. point, really, for this Minnesota team. And they've already committed a lot of money to him. They signed him to a max a couple summers ago. I didn't understand that. I didn't understand it at all. I, I was like, show me why you gave that to him. Banking on potential, because again, he's only 24 years old, but it doesn't seem like his heart is really in basketball at this point. He hasn't really been focused on improving. If anything, he's been regressing in these past few seasons. Yeah, he's certainly just a single facet player right now, and that's score the ball. A lot of people thought he could average six to seven rebounds. He could lock down the team's best player, and that just hasn't been the case for Andrew Wiggins. And But I still think you can get a good return right now. That's why I'm saying you got to make that move, I think, fairly soon, or he's eventually it's going to be irrelevant. You might get a couple of second-round picks in a – an aging wing eventually for a guy like Andrew Wiggins, which is kind of sad to think about. And see, I'm just not sure if this team will get any type of return for him because, again, we've talked about the the lack of effort to go along with the inefficient. I mean, he's an analytical nightmare. Mm-hmm. He takes a lot of long twos. He's a scorer, but he doesn't score efficiently. I mean, not he still can't shoot the three ball consistently, doesn't pass on offense, is sort of a black hole in the offensive end, gets the ball, and it just kind of sticks to his hands until – he shoots it, and he averages, what, 18 or 19 points a game on 16 or 17 shots. That's not going to help your team win. And meanwhile, the counterpart that he was traded for, Kevin Love, is still overall you know, making an impact with the Cavaliers. And even if he's not on the floor making an impact, he at least makes an impact in that locker room. It seems like Andrew Wiggins has kind of become almost an outcast. It doesn't mm-hmm. seem like he's really involved in the team's activity right now. I think put on blast by Jimmy yeah. Butler. So I mean absolutely. Solid. Butler gave us Not a that Jimmy good Butler insight. doesn't put other people no, on blast. No. He's never been afraid to uh, speak his mind, Jimmy Butler, but I think Andrew Wiggins may have got the worst of it. No, he really did. He took a lot of flack from Jimmy Butler. Uh thirty five and a half wins, I'm still gonna say under for now. And I, I don't really know why. I just when I look at the West I see my eight teams that I think are gonna make the playoffs and I'm just thinking I think this kind of team is gonna struggle in the clutch. To, if they're in a close game, are they going to be able to pull it out? That's just where I'm looking at right now. Minnesota might lose a lot of close games this year. They could be better than a 34-win team, but I think that's just the number they're going to end up with. A team that is going to be fun to watch, certainly intriguing for years to come, the Atlanta Hawks, 33 and a half dubs. I think that's a pretty good number for this team. Uh, Trey Young is certainly going to be a lot of a joy to watch. A lot of people think he'll be the next Steph Curry. I don't know if he's quite that. We'll see. Um, John Collins is fun. They get a good, couple of good draft picks in DeAndre Hunter and Cam Reddish, two good young wings. Young, exciting, that's the words to describe it now. Atlanta is 33, a good word to describe them as well. No, I think this is a safe bet for me on the under. I think teams will be sort of more ready for Atlanta this year. They snuck up on a lot of teams last year. They were 6-23 and to start the year. They looked like a team that wasn't even going to win 20 games. I didn't think they were going to win 20 games, but they ended the year around 22-30, and 30, so fairly reasonable but I still think this team is far too young, inexperienced, mm-hmm. and I think defensively is where Ooh, it's going a to nightmare. be a nightmare for the squad. They really don't have many good defenders on this team, if any. I mean, Trey Young is a phenomenal passer, good shooter, although he needs to improve his shot selection, needs to take less threes from 30 feet away from the basket yeah. with 22 seconds left on the shot clock still. But his passing has the potential to be top tier, maybe all-time level. John Collins, another athletic, solid rebounding wing who you can build around. And looking at the rest of the roster, Kevin Herter is going my X ah, factor yes. for, for this team this year. Kevin, I think he put together a very under the radar rookie season. A lot of people were comparing him to the likes of a, you know, a JJ Redick, a Kyle Korver, mm-hmm. but I think he could be more than that. I think he has more potential on the defensive end, and obviously a very good shooter. He proved that last year. And then the bench is where things really 
just drop off for this team so significantly. And also, DeAndre Hunter, a good addition with the fourth pick. I think Jarrett Culver would have been the better pick for Atlanta, but Hunter will still be serviceable. He'll have a learning curve. And then the bench, as we're looking at here with their roster, I think the bench is where things kind of go off the rails for this team. I People were talking about Atlanta as a potential playoff sleeper. They'll be right around where they were last year, I believe, in terms of the 29 to 30 win total. I think 33 to 34 range is a bit too high for the Hawks. For the Hawks, that's tough because I, I, I'm thinking 30 wins as well. But when I look at the team, you talk about Evan Turner was a nice pickup. Way, way overpaid, but I think he's a good young, mm-hmm. overall young. Speaking young of overpaid, they got Chandler Parsons now, <laughs> too. So <laughs> They got two really bad contracts on their team right now. They got Chandler Parsons. They brought in a young center, Damian Jones, who played a couple of years for Golden State. Never really saw much from him. He's he's athletic. He can dunk the ball. He can block. That's all good and dandy, but I don't know if he's going to affect the game very much. Alex Lund never lived up to his also his second overall pick right behind Andrew Wiggins. Those two guys are expected to really change the new era and be the new stars of the future, but they just haven't. Yeah, not much pressure on Jabari Parker either this year. No. He'll be that prominent scoring option off the bench. I've watched a couple preseason games. They're certainly a shoot-first, ask-questions-later player off the bench for the Hawks. Mm-hmm. They put him in a lot of isolations already, so sort of giving him the ball and saying, okay, go get us a basket in isolation. That's always been Parker's strength. Again, the injuries have been tough. He's had multiple ACL surgeries, and his defense is a liability. Mm-hmm. They blend right in on this Atlanta Hawk team. Right. And then at the center position, Alex Len, who's been universally labeled as a bust to this point in his NBA career, he actually had a, a little three-point shot. Yeah. Yeah, he shot 36%, sort of trying to evolve his game. Still not as good of a defender as... I think he should have been, or he had the potential to be, but still a, a decent center at best. But again, deaf is where I think this team, definite experience will set this team back, and I think keep them on. Soak up as much knowledge as you can from Vince Carter. His final season in the NBA, playing for Atlanta. In 2020 this year, he will be the first player in NBA history to play in four different decades. Yes, I did see that. That's absurd. To I think saw about. that somewhere. It is absurd to think about with all the players who've had long careers, you know, guys like Dirk and Kobe mm-hmm. who just retired. I did not realize that Vince Carter would actually play in four different decades this year. This man's doing windmill jams at 42 it, years it old. It really is amazing. <laughs> I, I know that obviously doesn't translate to still being a star on the court. Right. But you know, you got to have some fun at some point and just yes. appreciate the fact that a, a 42-year-old man who's been playing in the NBA for 22 years, still has not completely let uh, Father Time catch up to him just yet. Should be uh, a nice way to get some extra tickets here in Atlanta to see him play this past, or this upcoming season. DeAndre Hunter, I really like that draft pick because you do need the defensive side of the ball. I mean, he was a fantastic defender at Virginia, can certainly front you up at the perimeter and follow you all the way down to the post and defend you well there as well. I think Cam Reddish, though, this is the guy that's either going to be really freaking good or really irrelevant. And uh, if he can be really freaking good, that starting lineup in four or five years suddenly looks pretty darn good. And I know Cam Reddish was always labeled as being the knockdown shooter. Obviously, he had a nightmare shooting season at Duke. He nines too high. I'm pretty sure he was around 35 from the field and then 30 from downtown. But I think early in his career, Cam Reddish's calling card in the NBA will actually be his defense. He was had a good steal percentage at Duke. I think his... A better defender than people give him credit for and has the potential to turn into a th- the percentages don't match it and then looking at DeAndre Hunter I actually think he may be a little bit of an overrated defender especially in college because last year with Virginia who's uh, defensive teams in college basketball he actually ranked fifth in impact metrics on Virginia in terms of individual defense 
And his three-point shot, still a little bit of a work in progress, good percentages, but didn't really shoot at a high volume. Pretty big learning curve as a starting small forward. He's going to be thrown right in there along with Cam Reddish. But again, not that much pressure on the Hawks. So just a year, another rebuild, yeah. another rebuilding year for Atlanta just to get the younger guys more experience. But I would certainly be excited if you're a Hawks fan. This team's going to be pretty good, I think, in three or four years. and we'll Absolutely, be especially with Trey Young. Trey yes. Young just has all-star potential written all over him. They go as far as Trey Young develops. Right, and I wouldn't call him the next Steph Curry. I no. think those are pretty lofty expectations no. to compare a guy to the greatest shooter in NBA history. Yeah. But the vision and the passing is what should be the most exciting. I know he gets a lot of credit for the three-pointers, but his three-point shooting percentages really aren't that great compared to to how he impacts the game from a passing standpoint. Certainly, certainly. The New York Knicks, 26 and a half wins. They missed out on just about every free agent this offseason. Yeah. <laughs> um, Here's an understatement. Kevin Durant even said it's not even the cool thing to do anymore to right. go to the New York Knicks. Just, just sunned them. Right That's there. so sad, man. <laughs> so 26 and a half wins. It's going to be another rough season in New York. I love the pickup of Julius Randle. I don't know if he really attracts any more players with that move. Um, I think they also got some other... Nice young, nice pieces that people aren't really talking about. I think there'll be a, another one of those teams that's fun to watch, especially when you have a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. who can fly out of the gym. Um, when you have R.J. Barrett, their draft pick, who people think has star potential. And, yes, we mentioned Julius Randle. We're going 40 minutes, by the way, in this podcast right now. I guess that's ha- what happens when you're just talking basketball. What's your, uh, what's your normal time? Am I, you know, we're, am we're, I blabbering too much? Uh, no, <laughs> I have literally said since the day I started this podcast, I'm going to make it 20 to 30 minutes. Ooh. I always end up with 45 to an hour every single time. Okay, as long as I know that I'm not, as long as I'm not in trouble. You are talking basketball, and honestly, it should be called Brandon the Low Post right now because I mean, you're just taking over. That's good to hear. That's good to see. It's good to talk to. No, I don't think I'm taking that basketball line. I think you're doing a great job, man. Thank you. Two K takeover. You have a podcast. You're going to be starting one, right? I am. I'm starting to do some college basketball stuff. I just previewed the American Athletic Conference the other day. Very nice. It's on Spotify right now. It's called the Brandon Monty Podcast. I don't. I do not have as well then. What's that? You're going through Anchor FM as well? I am going through Anchor there you FM. Go. We'll sell promotion there. Anchor FM is the place FM, to go baby. if you're trying to start a podcast. <laughs> I'm just saying. But yeah, Easy it's on switch, Spotify, right? not on Apple Podcasts yet. But I do not have as creative a name as you for the podcast, <laughs> so that's for sure. I just call it the Brandon Monty Podcast. I'm bland. The Brandon Monty Podcast. Yeah, I'm bland. I'm unoriginal. Sorry. So, folks, if you have any ideas for a potential name for his podcast, go ahead and send them our way here at the Logan Lopez Podcast. I take it that means you don't like it. It's got Too some work, cool. Brandon. Yeah, it's got some work. <laughs> there's potential okay. there. That's there's okay. potential there. Yeah. There's a name, I guess. There is a name. Yeah, it's a stopgap <laughs> name for now until there someone comes up with Meanwhile, let's see we're talking about who has potential. The New York Knicks, 26 and a half wins. Uh, over, under. I'm going way under on way this next under. team. I'm not sold on them okay. at all. I think it's a developing year just to try to get the younger guys just acclimated to the league, really. One player who I think is not getting enough attention that needs to be, given you know all the R.J. Barrett hype, all the Kevin Knox hype, all the Dennis Smith Jr., Julius Rand- Mitchell Robinson, their center, yeah. was a second-round pick, was phenomenal on the defensive end last year for the Knicks, I think, because you know he didn't score a lot of points and wasn't dominant. You know, People really didn't pay as much attention to him, I think, as they He's should. He's also a big reason New York did not hesitate to let go of a guy like DeAndre Jordan. Or, I mean, right. sorry, yeah, yeah, exactly. To let like, go of DeAndre Jordan to Brooklyn. Right. Really a fantastic season last year for Robinson. Still needs to be a little more disciplined. Got into a lot of foul trouble last year. Kind of jumped for joy a lot at times. And was still a freak athlete, dominant shot blocker, and defensive player of the year potential, no question, for a guy who actually skipped out on college, which is why I think he went kind of under the radar, enrolled at Western Kentucky, skipped out to train on his own, 
fell all the way to the second round and he bet a on steal himself for the Knicks. He really did bet a on himself. Steal for the New York Knicks. Frank Nitlakina also looked really good for France this summer. I don't know if you got a chance to look at him very much, but I watched a whole video by Basketball Reference on YouTube, and we already know he can defend the ball really, really well. That's the reason the Knicks took a chance on him. It's kind of funny that you have Dennis Smith and Frank Nitlakina as your guards. A lot of people thought they should have taken and Dennis Alfred Smith. Payton. Yeah. A lot of people that the show's taking DSJ in the draft over Nitlakina, but now they're together. Nitlakina, if he can develop that outside shot and command an offense a lot better, I think he could also be a, an interesting prospect to look at. But I'm with you. I'm going to go under. I think 22 exciting wins is kind of it's a bunch of misfits. Take a lot of Let's be real. It's a, it's a bunch of misfits kind of mm-hmm. just thrown onto a team, and and also I'm not sure on uh, head coach Dave Fisdale. Dave Fisdale. Dave Fis- just yet. Obviously, we saw. How his tenure worked with Memphis um, and with the Grizzlies front office. Games, I think a big reason is because I want to watch how R.J. Barrett develops this season. And maybe Julius Randle being a lone guy up to 25-11 maybe potentially with the Knicks this season considering what roster they're working with. Three or four years ago, right? <laughs> if I'm not mistaken, yeah, you, that, that wasn't a dream, right? You wouldn't have noticed it if you just started following <laughs> their preseason game. You want to hear the final time. of that game? Well, the what ca- ended up being the, the final? Because it was 59 to 20. 72. Oh, we ended up getting 72. To the okay. Boston Celtics today. We ended today. up getting 72. There's, there's a Boy, start. by 46 points to the Boston Celtics. I think a bunch of people bet the under just off of today. Yep. They might turn some heads this season. They might win 33 oh, games. Right. And I was like, what am I going to say? They're not going to. They're not likely. I think they should trade Kevin Love. It's time to just move on. Bring in. I see how that backcourt works. I don't think it's going to last, by the way. I think no, they're going to figure out pretty quickly that's not going to last. More potential than Colin Sexton. I like Garland's outlook. He is a knockdown he's shooter. Consistent. He only played about five or six games in college yeah. at Vanderbilt before he went down with an injury. But he's got the silky smooth jumper. Still needs to work on his passing, which is why I don't think the Colin Sexton-Darius Garland backcourt is going to work because they are both two shoot-first point guards. Undersized. A lot of people say Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum type. I don't see it. And then on defense, it would just be a disaster because oh, Sexton, Sexton had a nightmare defensive season last year, and Garland doesn't project to be too much better. So I can't see them starting in the same backcourt together. I think the Cavs will experiment with it because there's really nothing to lose. I mean, no. there are no expectations this year. And a new coach, too, in John Beeline. I was going to say, that's a big win, I think, for Cleveland to bring in a guy like John Beeline who has worked with guys that are in that 18-, 19-year-old range with Michigan for as many years as he was there. I think bringing in a guy like that, and you can see, honestly, I watched a couple of games so far this preseason – they run a little bit of that college offense, a lot of backdoor cuts, uh, pace and space a little bit. But um, I think he's the perfect coach for this situation. Uh, <laughs> I feel bad for him. He's going to have yeah, a couple of years. He's of, got some work to do. Yes, His winning some, ways might yes. change this year. Absolutely. It's going to be a frustrating I couple of years. I think he knows years. what he signed up for. I think he does. <laughs> I really do think he does. Um, I like Darius Garland. I think his potential is Damian Lillard, whereas Colin Sexton is more like Eric Bledsoe. Um, I've liked the Bledsoe comparisons, yeah. but Sexton... Just a nightmare rookie year last year. Although why he did, did get better so during be- the season because... After this All-Star break, yeah. So many long twos. He would always step inside mm-hmm. the three-point line, take a lot of long twos. He shot 40% from three last year on three, on like attempts, three attempts, right? which yeah. is better than I expected him yeah. to. But inside of the arc, I think he was 40% on 10 attempts per game, which, mm-hmm. I mean, the analytics will rip you apart on that one. Absolutely. I mean, he got better, though, as the season went along. He needs to pass the ball more. He needs to be more of a facilitator and true point guard as well because I think he was... Sixth or seventh on the team last year in assist percentage, if I'm not mistaken. Larry Nance was a better pass than him. Yeah, your starting center can't yeah. be a better passer than your starting point guard. No, he really can't. I'm gonna go Cavaliers. I guess technically under at 24 wins. I know that's a lot to give to them, but I'm a hopeful Cleveland fan. I'm taking the under. I know you gotta take yeah, the under. We're both under. technically taking the yeah. under. 
Um, Cavaliers, I think they do have a good uh, – they have a good uh, thing going right now. I think uh, structurally they're sound. They're, they're, they're content with being bad right now. And I free think, Kevin Love. Free yeah. Kevin Love. I'm the guy very could go win a championship they somewhere. Extended him last year. They signed that extension. That was a puzzling move to me. Yeah, I'm still I'm still set on them trading him to Portland and bringing an expiring deal on Hassan Whiteside, maybe a young player and a couple of first rounders for mm-hmm. Love. I think that's a realistic deal that the Cavaliers should look and eventually make this season. That's our ten teams for this podcast. My goodness, we're at 47 minutes. We have a couple <laughs> of things to talk about. We'll make them quick. I think these are pretty quick things to talk about anyway. I want to get your thoughts. I usually ask in previous podcasts, who's your MVP? That's just impossible to predict. So I'm going to say, who are your three finalists for MVP this season? My three finalists, you got to put Giannis Antetokounmpo back in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Got to put the Greek freak because the Bucks run around him. It's pretty much Giannis surrounded by a bunch of role players. Very good role players, by the way, with guys like Brooke Lopez, Bledsoe, and Middleton. But again, Giannis keeps that team moving. Mm-hmm. My second candidate... A little bit of a sleeper. I think most people I think is a little underappreciated too. The best passing big man of all time, in my Nikola opinion, Jokic. Nikola Jokic. Yes, okay. I think he is a superstar at this point, and he will continue to prove so this year. And then my third candidate, Steph Curry. Okay, we're, we're, the we're most underappreciated superstar in NBA history has transformed the game over the last couple of years with this three-point shot. The best shooter in NBA history, the first ever unanimous MVP. Steph, well, yeah, I don't agree with that. But <laughs> the eye roll there. I, I don't agree with it. I'm right with you there, but still a phenomenal player nonetheless. With Clay out and Steph being the clear-cut number one option with KD gone, you have to put Steph back in the conversation for the, MVP. There's a reason I played Steph Curry clips at the top of this podcast, and it's because I also have Steph Curry in my top three finalists. I have Giannis as well just because that's the safe pick. And then LeBron James. Remember that guy? Mm. He yes, the I playoffs did. last yeah. year. People seem to forget about this guy. <laughs> he averaged 27, 8, and 8, and they called it a down year. That was some of his highest numbers of his career, and they called it a down year. That's scary. I, I, and now he's got Anthony Davis to play off of. And I know their offense is going to run through Anthony Davis, but when you say when you look at the bill, okay, when you look at the tail of the tape, who is still the best player on the team? It's always going to be LeBron and Anthony Davis. It's not going to be Anthony Davis and LeBron James. I think LeBron has been sitting back. He has been listening to all of the criticism. I think he's had so much time to just rest, enjoy father time, get his body right. And I think he's going to be back. I think he's going to be a top three finalist. How many players in the NBA you think listen to the critics, actually? And don't just right. completely tune them out. Right, that's, right. That's another good question. It really is. And I, mean, I, I know LeBron always says he doesn't listen to the media, but I think it's almost impossible not to. I mean, they're constantly yeah, talking like, about mm-hmm. you. Um, Giannis, I just put him there because he's the safe bet, and I think he's going to have another dominant season. Steph Curry... This guy averaged 26-5-6 over the last three seasons. That's with Kevin Durant on the team. 48% from the field, 42% from deep, 91% from the free throw line. They're not a far cry from his MVP numbers in 2015-2016. He averaged 30 points. That's a four-point difference. But five rebounds, six assists, still the same numbers. Of course, he still shot very efficiently, as he always does. This is a guy that's just so underappreciated. Now with a team that a lot of people are also kind of writing off. I heard Jay Williams say the Warriors aren't going to make the playoffs. I've That's seen absurd. multiple people say That's the absurd. Warriors aren't going to make the playoffs. That's you have arguably absurd. the best defender in the league on your team and Draymond Green as well. You have Steph, and Clay will eventually come back. Saying this team will not make the playoffs. Oof. And you have I, I got strong Russell. words for you that. You have yeah, Willie Coley Stein, who was such a nice pickup from Sacramento. But we're not talking about the Warriors. We're talking about Steph Curry. This guy is terrific, and 
Yes, I'm a Cleveland fan. I despised him in the NBA <laughs> Finals, especially of in, course, in of course. years with Durant. Because I was like, oh, you're being carried by Durant. I didn't look at the numbers no, very well back was, then because he wasn't. He was not. He wasn't carried by Durant. This guy still had some fantastic numbers, and I think he could be that, if you want to call him a dark horse MVP, I literally have him in my top three. I think Nikola Jokic is my dark horse more. I think James Harden is also still in the discussion. But, yeah, I'm going Curry, LeBron, and, and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo as my top three MVP candidates. Now for our last segment, I've asked the first two people, the last first four people, I guess, on the first two podcasts, who is your favorite out of the East? Who is your favorite out of the West? Who's playing in the NBA Finals? We're not talking regular season. We're talking NBA Finals. What's the matchup? The Western Conference is so difficult because there are six teams who you could easily look at and say, <laughs> this team can win an NBA championship. Yep. you got the Jazz, the L.A. teams, the Rockets, who else? The Warriors, I believe, are still a title contender. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care how many people say they're going to miss the playoffs. That that's just that is not a good take at all. And then you got Denver. And then you have the Denver Nuggets. You got six yeah. teams right there. But if I had to choose, I think the Western Conference Finals will be between the Houston Rockets and the Los Angeles Clippers. Okay. And oh man, this is tough. I want to say the Rockets, but I feel like they're not going <laughs> to. You know what? I'm saying it. Give me the Houston Rockets to go. Oh my goodness, to the NBA he did it. Finals, and if not Houston. I'll go with the Clippers, but my number one pick will be the Houston Rockets. And then in the Eastern Conference, a lot clearer of a picture. you got the two front runners, and then I think the sleeper with the Boston Celtics. But between the Bucks and the Sixers, I'm going to go with the Milwaukee Bucks. I think Giannis finally gets it done. I think the role players are a little underappreciated on the Bucks. Chris Middleton, Lopez, Bledsoe. I think they all step up this year, and I think Giannis gets to the NBA Finals where it will be Bucks versus Rockets. And I won't give my reasonings because I have on the first couple of podcasts. I'll give you my predictions, though. I said either the L.A. teams take your pick just because okay. I think it's going to be really tough to get LeBron James out of the playoffs when he has a guy like Anthony Davis as well on this right. team. And we already know how good the Clippers are. I took Philly. I'm taking Philly to make it out of the Eastern Conference. I still think Milwaukee's – I don't know why I said it. I'm not going to give you my reasons, even though I'm giving my reasons <laughs> right now. But I just get a sense that Middleton isn't exactly the best number two. For Giannis, he's I think not, he's a great number he's, three, he's, but he's I think good. they're still a player away. I like the additions of Robin Lopez, Brooke Lopez's twin brother. Uh, Wesley Matthews getting a return like that for Malcolm Brogdon is something mm-hmm. you know, to take away. But yeah, I have Philly and either of the L.A. teams. I'm not going to make a prediction right now. I really can't. I don't know how to pick between the two. <laughs> yeah. Either the L.A. teams and Philly. So we're on a little bit different minds here. Definitely. We'll have to come, have to come back yeah, you know, eight, will. nine months from now and see exactly. what we have. But that pretty much does it for the podcast. Brandon, you want to plug your podcast? The Brandon Monty podcast. The Brandon Monty podcast on Spotify, yes. And we'll be on Apple Podcasts here shortly. I think it takes about a week yeah. and 10 the, days the, from Anchor, Anchor to Anchor said it, that's the one that takes Apple. the longest. So when it eventually does get on there, look up the most uh, uncreative <laughs> podcast name in the, the history of podcasts in the Brandon Monty podcast if you want some and just to be uh, sure that basketball people fixes. see this, B-R-A-N-D-O-N. Correct. M-O-N-T-Y. M-O-N-T-Y. Correct. So I want to make sure everyone's not looking Correct. up something. Yeah. <laughs> M-O-N-T-I-E. You know, when you have this kind of podcast exactly. name, you have to make sure you're spelling each and every letter correct, each and every word correct. That does it for episode three of Logan and Low Post. Brandon, it was a pleasure to have you on. We've talked plenty of basketball, evident by the 55-minute Yes, we mark. did. And thank you for having me. Hey, it was happy to have you on. Well, we'll be back with episode four next weekend. We have ten more teams to talk about. The NBA season right around the corner. Football in the middle of everything. Cleveland Browns lost today. They're two and four, looking like two and five with New England Patriots coming up next. We're not going to talk about that. Middle of the baseball playoff, MLB playoffs as well. Certainly check that out. But until then, check out the Brandon Monson podcast on Spotify. This is 
been my guest, Brandon. I'm Logan LaDuke saying so long from Studio 106 in Athens. And we'll see you next week for Episode 4 of Logan in a Low Post.